Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we praise you, Lord. And Father, we just thank you so much for these studies. Lord, teach us to pray, Father. And we just ask that tonight you would show us, Father, how to surrender to your will. Uh, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and be our teacher. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text is Matthew 26, 36 to 46. And this is the account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's actually in uh, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think that should tell us that the Lord felt this was an event of great importance. And so he put it in those three Gospels. Spurgeon said of this passage, Here we come to the holy of holies of our Lord's life on earth. This is a mystery like that which Moses saw when the bush burned with fire and was not consumed. No man can rightly expound such a passage as this. It is a subject for prayerful, heartbroken meditation more than for human language. And so... I know that I'm unable to fully expound such a passage, but my desire tonight is that we would be moved to fervent prayer before God and to avowed submission or surrender to his will tonight. So let's read our text, Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And if you have a King James, that says very heavy. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so tonight what I want to look at is uh, three points. Jesus' condition, verses 36 and 38. Jesus' petition, verses 39 through 44, and Jesus' submission, verses 45 and 46. Let's look at his condition, 36 and 30 through 38. So the account here opens with Jesus retreating to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Now, Gethsemane means olive press. Some definitions include it to mean oil press. The Garden of Gethsemane is an olive yard located at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and it's east of Jerusalem over the brook Kidron. And according to Luke 21, 37, and 22, verse 39, this was a place Jesus regularly went with his disciples 
And this is why Judas knew where he could find him. Verse 37 says that it is here in the garden that Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. The word sorrowful means full of heaviness or sadness, afflicted with pain, sorrow, or grief. It speaks of a person in mourning or anguish. And it speaks of the physical as well as emotional distress. The word, uh, the words deeply distress or very heavy in the King James means to be in distress of mind, almost overwhelmed with sorrow or burden of mind. And so it's more, it is dealing more with a mental distress. Verse 38 said that Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And this exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, has the meaning of a crushing weight. Pain, grief, suffering, as well as joy, are the basic physical and emotional human experiences that we have. And here we see Jesus physically, emotionally, and mentally going through distress. Now, it's distress is something that we've all gone through or we will go through at times in our life, and it's a human condition that we go through. And this tells me that Jesus was as real and human as we are sitting here tonight. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, and that has the meaning of adversity or testing, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 4.15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus knows exactly what we go through, physically, emotionally, and mentally, because he's been there. Notice that in verse 37, Jesus, it says that Jesus began to be sorrowful. This has a meaning uh, like a, to a degree that had never been before. We saw that, or we know that Jesus is not a stranger to grief and sorrow. He wept for Lazarus and he wept for his people. John eleven thirty three tells us that when Jesus saw Mary weeping for her brother Lazarus, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then verse 35 of that chapter tells us that Jesus wept for Lazarus. Matthew 23, 37 through 39 and Luke 13, 35 34 and 35 records Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. Isaiah 53, 3, the first part of it, speaking of the Messiah, says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus had experienced grief and sorrow, but now in the garden, he began to be sorrowful like never before. It was a crushing sorrow he had not felt before. One commentator said, the extremity of his anguish was reaching to the utmost limit of human endurance. In other words, the grief, the anguish, the sorrow, that heaviness, that crushing pain that Jesus began to experience in the garden was at a point that a human body could not endure any longer. And why was that? Why did he begin to be sorrowful beyond human capacity? 
It was because Jesus, as the Messiah, was about to become the sacrifice for all of mankind. I like the way the intro to our our lesson 17 said, Jesus began to feel the crushing weight of the cross. And this is what was happening here at this point in the garden. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And what this means here in Isaiah in these verses is that Jesus would bear the weight of our griefs, our diseases, our sicknesses, and carry our sorrows and our pains. He would be smitten and stricken of God, literally to be struck or beaten. He would be wounded or pierced to death, nailed to the cross for our transgressions, for our sins and our rebellion. He would be bruised or crushed and shattered for our iniquities. Jesus would bear this suffering in order that we may have the benefit of having peace with God. By Jesus suffering this punishment in our place, it's now possible to receive healing, first and foremost, spiritual and sometimes physical healing. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And verse 10 of Isaiah 53 tells us that it pleased the Father to crush him and put him to grief because he made his soul an offering for sin. Jesus' soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to death because the spiritual horror awaiting him on the cross, Jesus would stand in the place of guilty sinners and receive all the spiritual punishment sinners deserve. In the garden, Jesus was overcome by grief and anguish, not because he was going to die a horrible physical death, but because it meant separation from the Father in order to accomplish that substitutionary death. And Jesus was separated from the Father for that time on the cross, so we don't have to be separated from the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's pretty heavy if you think about all that Jesus was about to go through, and he knew that. He wasn't afraid to die physically, and he knew the, the, the beatings that he was going to get, but it was that separation from the Father. That was the crushing weight there, but he did that so that we don't have to be separated. Let's go back to Matthew 26, verse 39 reads, He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, Luke, uh, Luke's account says that he kneeled down, He did both. You have to kneel before you go onto your face. So he kneeled, and then he went onto his face in fervent prayer. Luke also says that that in this hour of crushing agony, God the Father sent help to his son. 2243, and Luke says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus was so crushed under the weight of anguish that his physical human body could have given up. And died, but the Father's plan, the Father's will, was not for was not for Jesus to die before he was nailed to the cross. 
he would not die before his appointed time. And since the father would not have Jesus die from anguish in the garden, he sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him. And, you know, I found this very comforting to know that when I think that I can't go on, when I want to give up, when I feel like I'm just going to die from, and I think we can all fill in that blank there, my heavenly father will strengthen me by his Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus promised us the power and help of his Holy Spirit in Luke 24, 49 and John 14, 16. So we don't have to just give up and die when we have the help of the Father through his Holy Spirit. Although we feel like it sometimes. Verse 44 of Luke's account says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, Luke was the only one to mention the bloody sweat. But Luke was also the only one who was a physician. There is a rare condition where blood and sweat do mingle. And its clinical term is, give me a second, hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. And uh, there was an article in the American Journal of Otolaryngology, which is <laughs> having to deal with the ear, nose, and throat. And it was published, actually, it, it was an article published in December of 2013 by a doctor whose name, I'm not even going to attempt that one, <laughs> but it cites four cases that occurred in 2001 to 2013. I'm sure there's many more, but I found this one. And uh, the doctor wrote this article saying, the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood as sweat under stressful conditions. And this is what this doctor said, occurring in religious as Jesus Christ's prayer experience in Gethsemane and non-religious as a soldier sweating blood before battle. And, you know, so it's just amazing. There's a physical, there's documentation. This happens. It's, it's an actual gore of blood and sweat mixed together that a human can experience when under these extreme stressful physical and mental conditions. So adding to this crushing weight, those closest to Jesus weren't even available. Three times he finds them sleeping when they were supposed to be his prayer partners. Can anyone relate to this, what Jesus is experiencing here? It just, he was so sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful. Have you ever been there? Has, has anybody, I, I mean, am I the only one? <laughs> been to, you know, you're just exceedingly sorrowful about a matter. Now, we may not have sweated drops of blood, and, and then I don't know. Maybe some of you have, but I know I think we have felt that way at times. There will be those times in our life as we serve the Lord that we will find ourselves to be so heavy with sorrow, grief, pain, disappointment, discouragement, fear, or any aspect of our humanity. And it will seem like no one can understand or they can relate to what we're going through, not even those closest to us. That's when we need to look to Jesus because he will know exactly what we're going through because he's been there. We need to do as Jesus did when under these same conditions. So let's take a look at how he responded under 
this crushing condition. We're going to see his petition now, verse 39 through 44. We read that Jesus prayed three times. His first prayer is in verse 39. His second is in verse 42. And then the third is in verse 44. The first prayer in verse 39 says, He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Notice with me first how Jesus addresses the Lord. He says, Oh, my father. In these words, we see his abiding, intimate relationship with God. With all the surging sea of sorrow surrounding him and intense loneliness, we see that his sense of his relationship to the Father was unbroken. Jesus exemplifies the tone and manner of addressing the Father with reverence and with adoration, even in the midst of anguish and distress. And the truth is that in our humanness, in difficult conditions, we can be tempted to doubt God's love and his goodness. Whether that temptation is from our own flesh or from the enemy, whispering that to us. But it's especially at those times that we are to come to the Father with the utmost of reverence and adoration like Jesus. Notice next in verse 39 also, uh, the next part it says, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, the cup Jesus is speaking of is God's wrath. And repeatedly in the Old Testament, the cup is a powerful picture of the wrath and judgment of God. Isaiah 51.22 describes the cup as the goblet of my wrath. Jeremiah 25.15 calls it the wine of my wrath. Ezekiel 23.31-34, through 34, it talks about the cup of ruin and desolation brought upon Samaria. So the cup represented judgment and wrath. And Jesus, who was completely holy, was made literal sin for us on the cross. And again, this was the source of his agony. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So when Jesus said, If it is possible, he already knew that salvation was not possible any other way, but through his death death on the cross. John 14, 6 says that, uh, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus would drink of the cup of the Father's wrath, so we would not have to drink from that cup, just like he was separated from the Father, so we would not have to be separated. Now he drinks of this cup so that we don't have to drink of that cup of judgment. And in place of that cup of judgment and wrath, we now have the communion cup. Going to the cross was a horrendous thing, and and I don't know if we all can fully understand the horror of this on this side of heaven. I mean, we can picture, and we have Hollywood movies, but I don't know if we really can understand the horror that it was to go through that. So Jesus was being crushed by that, the horror of the impending sin, the judgment and the separation from the Father that would come upon him on the cross for our sake. Look at also in verse 39, the next part says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now Jesus, as he prayed, he surrendered to complete abandonment to the Father's will. 
And I, again, I like what our intro to this lesson said. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, asked if it was possible to let this cup pass from him. But in the very next breath, he resigned himself to do the Father's will. It is acceptable to express our will to God, but we must learn to surrender ourselves completely into his hand and seek his will as we pray. There will be circumstances that we may never understand this side of heaven. But do we have that, oh, my father, relationship with the Lord? So we're willing to be willing to yield to his perfect will. All we need to be is willing to be willing to surrender to the father's will as we pray. And it's in that willingness that the father will work in our hearts to surrender to complete abandonment to his will. His second prayer in verse 42, Jesus, again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, we see that Jesus' relationship with the father is unchanged at this point. He says again, Oh, my father. But now Jesus acknowledged that the impossibility of the passing of the cup, Jesus now said, If, and that could also mean although or since, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Again, there was no other way to the Father but through Jesus. He had to drink the cup of judgment and wrath in our place. Romans 4.25 tells us that he was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So once again, we see in this second prayer Jesus' complete consent and surrender to the Father's will as he prayed, your will be done. And then his third prayer in verse 44 says, So he left them, speaking of the sleeping disciples. He went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. The third time, he said the same thing. The repetition of his prayer was evidence that Jesus had the same attitude and the same abandonment to the Father's will as the first and second. This also tells me that if Jesus can pray multiple times for something, so can we. It's not unspiritual spiritual to make the same request of God several times. Now, Jesus did say in Matthew 6, 7, not to use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard of their many words. Vain, in, in this sense, vain repetitions is a rote, religious, rite or ritual like the Hail Mary or now I lay me down to sleep. Jesus shows us that repeated prayer can be completely consistent with steadfast faith. Now, Matthew doesn't give us the wording of the third petition, but one person uh, put it this way. They thought it might go something like this. Since the cross is your will, and since it cannot be accomplished any other way, I ask for strength to bear it for your glory. And, and I like that. I think that might have been along the lines of what he might have said. Again, Jesus wasn't trying to avoid the cross. He surrendered to it. And he needed the Father's help to accomplish it. So let's not be timid about asking the Lord for something as the Holy Spirit leads, always surrendering to the Father's will. 
And, you know, and Trudy mentioned last week about positive confession teachers, you know, the, the name it and claim it, created by speaking. But one thing they say is that we negate what we're trying to create as we speak when we say your will be done. This is so contrary to the example of Jesus here in the garden. And we would be wise women to follow the example of Jesus and not man. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see a struggle and a battle won through prayer. This struggle at Gethsemane, the place of crushing, had an important place in fulfilling God's plan of redemption for mankind. This was God's will. If Jesus had failed here, he would have failed at the cross. But his success here, by his intense prayer and complete surrender to the Father's will, made the victory possible at the cross. Victory was won at Calvary by the prayer at Gethsemane. So what struggles or battles are we battling tonight? Like Jesus, there is nothing wrong with being honest with the Lord to seek deliverance in a difficult situation. But also like Jesus, in those seasons, we must willingly submit to the will of God Confident that in all these trials, our Heavenly Father is wise, he loves us, and he's still on the throne. Our victory will be as we come to the Lord as our Heavenly Father, because we have an intimate relationship with him. Our victory will be as we bring our petitions to the Lord as many times as the Holy Spirit leads. And our victory will be as we willingly surrender to the Father's will. Jesus chose the high purpose of God, and we would be wise women to do the same. So now let's look at his submission in verses 45 and 46. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So after his fervent prayers and his drops of sweat and blood, we see that Jesus fully surrendered to the Father's will by his actions. He says to the the disciples, rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. And verse 46 here is not a suggestion to run or escape when he says, let us be going. Jesus knew Judas and those who would arrest him were on their way. And maybe he could even see their torches as they were approaching But the word going here, it has a meaning to to lead or drive forth. It implies going into action, advancing, not retreating. And so by his submission to the Father's will, Jesus was not weakened, but became stronger and more resolved. And instead of waiting for his enemies to come to him, he went out to meet them. With the strength of the Father, he moves forward with courage. His actions prove his commitment to the Father's will. And as he moved forward toward the crowd who came to arrest him, he also moved toward the cross, which was the Father's will. Jesus knew what the Father's plan for his life and his death. He knew he was born to die for the sins of the world. The Father had clearly proclaimed his plan in his word, and Jesus surrendered to it. God's word is the framework for his will. Jesus knew the scriptures that described the Messiah's work. And we know that because when Peter tried to, to cut off, or when he did cut off uh, the, the guard's ear, what did Jesus say? Um, 
he tells him to put away his sword. And then he says, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? See, Jesus knew God's word. He knew the scriptures. And we too need to know God's word because his word is the framework for his will. Now, we might not find specific details for our lives in the Bible, but the Bible will give us very specific principles for our lives. When we seriously search and obey the scriptures, we will discover God's will. So after looking at Jesus' prayer in the garden, I think we can conclude about it, what it means to pray according to God's will. First, it means putting God and his purposes first in our lives. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we truly want God's will in our lives, then our will should be for God's kingdom and for God's glory rather than our own. When we can do this, then many of those things that trouble us will fade away. And we will even willingly embrace those difficult things or even those things that might be painful. I mean, I've seen some of you going through cancer, and you're going through cancer now. You're pillars of the Lord's strength as you surrender to the Lord's will. Whether you realize it or not, you are pillars of strength because you have surrendered to God's will. And not that God makes difficult things happen to us, but he does allow those things that will cause us to get closer to him and that will fulfill his plans and purposes and will bring him glory. You know how many non-believers are watching, those of you that go through difficulties, and they see your response to the Father's will? That is drawing them. As you get closer to the Lord, it's drawing them. It is for God's plans and purposes and for his glory. Jesus accepted the cross and its horrors because he surrendered to the purposes of God. Secondly, I think praying to God according to God's will means praying according to the word of God. And this is where the will of God is made known to us. Lorraine gave us a great study on praying according to God's word. And again, God's word is the framework for his will. Thirdly, it means praying in faith, expecting an answer. Uh, As Trudy told us last week, the answer will not always be what we expect or want, but we should expect and want God's answer. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Lord has plans and purposes that reach into eternity, which our human understanding cannot comprehend. Hebrews 5, 7, speaking of Jesus, says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard, Because of his godly fear. The father did answer Jesus in the garden. His prayers were answered according to the father's will. And from that point on, Jesus went forward to his arrest, to his trial, and to his crucifixion with no hint of fear or wavering. Because of Jesus, the father now hears our prayers. Hebrews 4.16 How can we submit and surrender to the Father's will? Again, Jesus is our example. We must know what the Father has clearly said in his word. Are we fighting against it or are we willing to surrender it, to surrender to it? And it's not always easy. Jesus said in verse 41 of Matthew, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Our human nature will struggle against the spiritual 
because our human nature is corrupt, it's sinful, and it's rebellious, and it will wrestle against the will of God. But this is where we need to walk in the spirit so we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 Our flesh will resist the things of God and the Holy Spirit of God will respond to the things of God. The more we read God's word, the more we feed the spirit of God and the more we walk in the spirit and the more we will be willing to be willing to surrender to God's will. Next, we need to look to Jesus as our model for submission or surrender to the Father's will. John 8, 29, Jesus said, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. And then Jesus said, For I always do those things that please him. Man, I wish I could say that. (laughs) The same principle applies to us. If we do what pleases the Father, we can rest assured that the Lord is with us no matter what the circumstances he's not going to leave us alone john 4 34 jesus said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work jesus also said in john 5 30 i do not seek my own will but the will of the father who sent me and john 6 38 for i have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me if jesus is our example then we must have the mind of christ so we can be as Jesus. First Peter 4, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of man, but for the will of God. We need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And in order to have the mind of Christ, we must renew our minds through God's word and prayer. And thirdly, we must have an intimate relationship with the Father like Jesus. Do we know the Father well enough to trust him? Do we know him well enough to know that he is wiser than we? Do we know him well enough to know he is sovereign and he wants only what is best for us? And do we know him well enough to want to glorify him? When the Lord says no to something, it's because he has something so much better. And there's a song uh, that says these few lines, which I think is very appropriate. Surrender don't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than to take what you give that I need. And I've beat my head against so many walls Now I'm falling, I'm falling on my knees. And I think this says it really nicely. Ladies, we need to fall on our knees and our face in complete surrender to the Father's will like Jesus in the garden. We must ask the Lord to strengthen us like he strengthened Jesus in the garden. There was a struggle between the human flesh and God's will and his redemptive plan for mankind. And the Father answered Jesus, His answer was to go forward. And from that point on, he went forward again to his arrest, trial, and crucifixion without a hint of fear or wavering. Jesus was settled in his mind for the Father's will, and he was given strength by the Father for the whole ordeal. What is our flesh struggling against tonight? What has God made clear to us as his will through his word to which 
our flesh doesn't want to submit. As long as we're willing, then the Lord will strengthen us to do his will for whatever lies ahead, as he did with Jesus in the garden. So in conclusion, one commentator, I like what they said. Not your will, but mine changed paradise to desert and brought man from Eden to Gethsemane. Now, not my will, but yours brings anguish to the man who prays it, but transforms the desert into the kingdom and brings man from Gethsemane to the gates of glory. Again, in our intro to this this lesson, says God's will always brings about the greatest results, and above all, he is glorified. Whatever our condition tonight, if the Father has allowed it, then we must trust that he will use it to bring glory and to bring to himself. We must look to Jesus because he knows exactly what we're going through. We must come to the Father in prayer for his help to surrender to his will as Jesus did. He will strengthen us for whatever lies ahead. Our petition can be honest and open multiple times with all reverence and adoration for the Father, like Jesus. All we need to be is willing to be willing to surrender to the Father's will. And it's in that willingness that the Father will work in our hearts to surrender in complete abandonment to his will. Our submission or our surrender to the Father's will is evident by our actions. Like Jesus, when we surrender to the Father's will, not only are we strengthened, but we can move forward with courage. Our surrender to the Lord's will is always best, and he will be glorified. John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Will we be able to say these words at the end of our life? We will, as we submit, submit to the Father's will throughout our life. And in return, at that time, the Father will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much, so much for your word, for these studies on prayer. Father, I just pray for every one of us here. Help us, Lord, to just look at the example of Jesus in the garden. Father, when those circumstances are crushing, Father, help us to come to you in fervent prayer. And Father, most of all, help us to be willing, to be willing to surrender to your will. Father, we thank you that in that surrender, you will strengthen us. You will bring victory. Father, you will be glorified, but we need your help, Lord. And we just praise you, and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.